0: Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So can I be vulnerable with you for a second? That I was getting concerned throughout the course of the week because I spent a lot of time in hospitals this week. And I'm like, I got a sermon to write. I got a sermon to write. At some point, Samuel, you've got a sermon you've got to work on. And I did not put down a single word of this sermon until this morning. And I'm saying to myself, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I'm like, like, I haven't had any time to study. And it was as if God said to me this morning, Sam, you've been studying. You just studied in a hospital room and not in your study. I mean, it says study on the door. That's where I try to do the studying. And as soon as I got my head around that, I was like, okay, God, thank you. Thank you very much. So some of you are going to go, oh, geez, Sam put this together in an hour. This could go sideways. That's fair. (laughs) I'm cool with that. You can let me know on the way out. Others of you would be like, let's see what happens. Let's see what God has for us this morning. Because the context couldn't be clearer. That What I often pray when I'm in hospital rooms is exactly the words that Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though they were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever believes in me shall never die. And in the most desperate times of a family's life, and in the most critical moments of your life and mine, these are the words that God so often brings to my heart and has brought to the church's heart for generations. If this week isn't your turn to go through this, I bet you've been through this before and you know what these words mean in that moment. You know the power of these words. I am the resurrection and the life and we put hope and promise in these words, do we not? Do, these, do not these words keep us buoyed when everything else wants to drag us down into the bit? Of course they do. And of course for 2,000 years we have hung on to Jesus tell, saying this about himself in the midst, the family's most awful moment. I want you to hold that as we also try to put a, div- a slightly different context on this to understand that we are at the near the end of our Lenten journey. Thanks be to God. Most of us are tired by our fast by now. But remember that this story is given to us in the church's tradition at the end of this Lenten sequence intended to catechize those preparing for baptism. And here, in this lesson, we get Jesus' final and fullest lesson before he enters into Jerusalem. And consider the journey we've been on. We've walked from Jesus' temptation to Nicodemus, to the Samaritan woman at the well, to the man born blind last week. And as we've walked this ancient path, and we've told these stories, and we've also discovered lessons, we've discovered we will face temptation we will need to take it from the top. Our lives will require restarting. We will intentionally break down boundaries in search of God's goodness. And We heard last week that there is God is doing something in your life. Own your own story. Put all them together, yes? And you can start to see a pathway, a method. There is an intentionality to this pathway that God is working in your life and God seeks to open your eyes to what it is that God is doing. Yes, these are wonderful, wonderful messages. But, and this is where I want to challenge us this morning, and I feel this very, very strongly. These lessons will face temptation. Take it from the top. Break down boundaries. Find God in your story. We don't need Jesus for any of them. Why don't you sit with that a second? We don't need Jesus for any of them. We're grateful that Jesus tells us these stories. We're grateful we have them from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is clearly a good moral teacher, but to feel them, to know them, to be taught them, we don't actually need Jesus for any of them. Do we really need Jesus to tell us that we're going to face some tough times in our lives? You don't have to sit in a church to hear that lesson. Do we really need Jesus to tell us that you're going to face some temptation or that your story matters? No, there's a thousand people more eloquent than me. You can get online right now and find them. They'll tell you, you know, you got something good in your life. Just keep going. I don't need Jesus for those things. I don't need Jesus to tell me that crossing boundaries to care for the outcast is good for my humanity. I don't need Jesus to tell me that we build up our lives so often only to tear them down and to rebuild them more sustainably and thoughtfully. Shoot, I'm 40. I'm in the middle of my life. I'm doing that as we speak. I don't need Jesus for that. That's just natural. I don't need Jesus for any of these lessons. And church, this is where I get a little concerned. I'm afraid that that has been our message, not here, but here, for generations, that what the world has heard us saying is that just kind of wrap your arms around these good lessons. Because I ask Christians all the time, what do you believe? What matters to you? And so often what I hear back is, well, you know, God wants us to be a good person and to do some good things, pat each other on the back, be encouraging, and everything gonna be okay. That message is beautiful. Won't change the world hasn't anyway, it will not produce transformation in your life or in mine because it does not capture the power and the promise of Jesus who says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that is what we seek, yes? That is what we were promised when Paul, reflecting on Jesus' life, said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, that's what we want but this message alone this sort of just be a good person and you'll go to this weird space one day that has been the basic distillation of americanized christianity for the better part of generations to my sadness and my grief and can you see how this mass-produced moral therapeutic deism be nice be kind keep going has been our message, and can you see how that message, even from pulpits, doesn't require Jesus for any of it? But yet Jesus says, in pulpits and in hospital rooms and in therapist rooms and in living rooms, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And this is where Jesus is going to challenge This is where Jesus diverges from all of that. Because here Jesus goes far, far beyond moral therapeutic deism. Because if Jesus is right, if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then this quite simply is the most remarkable thing that any human being has ever said. And if he's wrong, then we should not trust him with a single one of the stories that we have told up until this point. If Jesus is wrong about this, we should not trust him to tell us about breaking boundaries. And friends, it is here on this last Sunday of Lent that Jesus is going to push us beyond the bounds of nice and proper belief into an authentic experience of Christ himself. But Jesus does it as a friend. Let's let some of the tension out of the room, shall we? Jesus is doing it as a friend, Have you ever considered that Jesus had friends that weren't daily followers, that weren't his students? You ever thought that Jesus just has some people that were just good hangs, people he just kind of liked? Have you considered that Jesus has emotions just like you and me? Well, that's part of the beauty of this story, and you'll want to hold on to that. Lazarus and Mary and Martha are not Jesus' apostles. They are not the people who have pledged themselves to him as daily followers in, a, in what was for them a very structured sort of way of education. No, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are Jesus' hangs. He's like, I'm going over to their house because I'm sick of the guys. You know what I mean? Jesus is not speaking this message today from a place of pure religious or philosophical detachment. Like you, he's coming from a place that is messy with relationships and stories and obligations and connections. This most remarkable story of Jesus comes when Jesus is most vulnerable to us emotionally. And we know this because Mary and Martha send him a message and say, the one you love is sick. And we skip ahead a little bit. When Jesus arrives, he found Lazarus dead four days. Now that's bad. But it's really, really bad in the Hebrew tradition. Because tradition in the Hebrew faith said that the soul departs the body after three days. It's not just that he has died. It's that Jesus is a day late and a dollar short. Which is forget, it's just beats on Mary and Martha which is why we read this. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Not, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. No, they're upset. Jesus is a day late and a dollar short. And I hear this, not just from Mary and Martha, but I hear this from us in these moments, yes? These moments where we want to scream, if you had just been here, wait, you promised something, Jesus? You're powerful. You could have done something and you chose not to. You could have saved my brother. You could have saved me, the reader might cry, in the dark moments of our own soul. You could have been here for me and you weren't. But Jesus understood at the beginning, and it's something that Mary and Martha will come to appreciate as this story walks from end to end. Jesus understands. He says, even in this moment, I'm doing something in this story. Even in this moment, I'm doing something in their life. And Jesus is going to say to us, I'm doing something in your life as well. And we're going there. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is saying, you have to come with me on this. You have to go to some tough places. But if you do, he says, I am more than a nice message. I am more than politeness. I am resurrection. I will go through death, and I will bring you out on the other side. This is who I am, Jesus says. Jesus in this story is telling us, you may not have me as you want me. You may not have me in the safety of sort of pictures of Jesus and sort of, you know, safe religion. No, no, no. You must have me as I have revealed myself because resurrection implies death. Resurrection implies struggle. It implies hardship. But on the far side, it means life. It means transformation. It means the power of God revealed in our lives. And so Jesus has this conversation with them. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. But on the backside of that, he asks a question that haunts me to this day. And it's a simple question. Do you believe this? Ask me if you want. Do I really? About 10% of the time, if I'm being honest with you, most of the time I want to scream, Jesus, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. There's a moment, a glimmer every once in a while. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I believe that, but not most of the time. But what Jesus does to Mary and Martha, and he's doing to all of us, is that he is bringing us face to face with himself. Friends, we must deal with Jesus. Not just a good message, but in the person, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe how John describes him in the opening of this entire book where he says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind? And Martha's response, far more faithful than mine, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is the middle of the story. This is the valley. It doesn't get worse for her than this. And in that, she says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is significant in John's Gospel because in the other three Gospels, it's Peter who makes the grand profession. In John, it's his friend, Martha. That matters. She believes She doesn't believe in a good message. She believes in Jesus. And that's where all her hope is. And it is on that that the rest of the story unfolds. And friends, you you know the rest of the story, yes? Jesus goes to the grave and he hears the anger and the disappointment and sometimes even the mocking from the crowds. Jesus weeps himself. Everyone, every kid I've ever had who come through confirmation wants to joke, you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. And I look at every one of them and say, you also realize it's one of the most profound. That Jesus doesn't come to us like, don't worry, guys, I got this. Jesus sobs for his buddy, his hang, his guy. And in this, Jesus knows our suffering, and he knows our reality. He knows how difficult it is to be a human. Whatever it is you are going through, Jesus is not unfamiliar with it. In fact, Jesus weeps with us. But here's the thing. He still calls us on this path. Knowing our pain, knowing our suffering, he's like, keep coming. Keep coming. Leave all that silliness behind. Keep coming after me. Put your eyes right here if we're going to reference Peter walking on the water. Keep looking at me. I'm calling you farther than we're ready to go. I'm calling you beyond the limits. Keep coming all the way to death. And with a tear in his cheek and a glimmer in his eye, this is my imagination coming out here, but that tear and that glimmer in his eye he looks at everybody he says did I not tell you that if you believe did I not tell you that if you have an engagement a relationship with me you will see the glory of God and we know how this goes right he walks right up to that tomb he says roll away the stone and he screams I won't scream I might he screams Lazarus come out and the man gets up and he walks off I often laugh. I'm quite sure he did kind of this zombie dance. He had to get his legs underneath him. He was gone for four days. But he gets his legs underneath of him. And what do we see? Resurrection on the far side of death. Life on the far side of death. And three lives and a whole community's lives who were forever changed. Changed so much that it's these two women who are at the foot of the cross when Jesus goes through his own death. And so at this point... You're like, this is a big climax. This is a great story. We've gotten here to this place. Well, at this point, we're only halfway through John's gospel. We have a long way to go to tell the build-up to his entry at Jerusalem, Jesus' teaching and prayers, his passion, his crucifixion, and yes, even his own resurrection. John's got a long way to go to tell it, the story he wants to tell. But here in the middle, we get this confession. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And at the end of this, after John has finished this story, John writes at the end of his gospel these words. He said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. He's saying, I got a lot of other things I could have told you, but I, I gave you this. He said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Did you catch that? Here, at the darkest moment of their lives, Jesus confessed Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. And that, not platitudes, not good lessons, the person of Jesus changed their life. And here, the invitation from John is for us to do the same. And it is here that I realize, for me, how desperately I need Jesus in my life. Good ideas aren't enough to change me I need the one who can take all of my pain, all of my suffering, all of my deaths and resurrect them. To have an experience of Jesus is to walk through death and find life on the far side. Because Jesus never promised immortality. Hear that again. He never promised immortality. He gives resurrection. And he says, though we walk through these things, there is life on the far side. And John says, I wrote these stories because I want you to have an experience of Jesus. I want you to understand who Jesus, who I believe Jesus to be. He says, I want you, John says, to believe. Believe as Martha did, to walk all the way up to the gates of hell. And if you're like, that sounds like a Tom Petty reference, it is. To walk all the way, right up to the gates of hell. And to not back down with Jesus. John wrote these stories so that you might have an experience of Christ. So on the ho- edge of Holy Week, as this was read, the leaders would look, about, look at those who were about to be baptized. And I forgive you all down here. I just imagine a row of catech- <laughs> um, people to be confirmed and baptized sitting right here. So i always gesturing to you. I don't mean you all. But on the edge of Holy Week, the preacher would have looked at them about those who are about to be baptized and he'd say to them, you sure about this? You in? You ready to go that far? Are you ready to push beyond the limits of nice religion? Because we are told in Paul's writings that we are buried with Christ in baptism. There is no Jesus without death. That's what baptism is. You sure you're ready for that? You sure you're ready for an experience of Jesus that will, trans- that will transform you because it will take you through death and will drop you off in life? If Jesus is the resurrection, friends, then every story we've ever told takes on a new dimension. When we're tempted to hold on to life, Jesus says whoever would find their life would have to lose it. We've got to let our lives go. Jesus will invite us to start all over. Are we willing to start all over? It'll feel like death. The words of when I survey the wondrous cross, Isaac Watts gets this right, says all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood when we cross the boundaries that we'll be invited to cross, we'll give up the lines and separation that gives us safety and comfort, and we'll probably take some heat for that, but we will find life and connection and renewal on the far side. So as we draw ever closer to the cross, we are simply left with this confession of faith, you are the Messiah, and we are left with a single question, friends, believers, Jesus asked Martha, and he asked us as well, Do you believe this?